Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service. And uh, again, as you keep talking about the coronavirus, the cases go up, especially where you're located in Mississippi. Totally right about that, Neil. And, you know, it looks like we're seeing that all over the country. And also, and also, you know, uh, they're seeing that in um, uh, different parts of the world. So I think it's, you know, again, kind of acting like the flu. So, but anyway, um, we're working hard to take care of people. Uh, but I'm very excited about the guest that we have today. All right. I cannot wait to hear who he, who he is. Go ahead and introduce him, Chris. Well, no problem. Well, it gives me great pleasure to uh, welcome to the show an actor, a director, a producer. Uh, uh, we first kind of met him in, in, in George of the Jungle back in the early 2000s. Uh, I'm very excited to welcome to the show actor and producer, uh, Mr. Christopher Shireman. Welcome to the show, Chris. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Absolutely, Chris. When you like look back at your uh, career, do you what what are your, what are your thoughts saying did you really think that's what you were going to do you know i no i don't think we ever look back and go well that went exactly as i planned it uh, but <laughs> but it always goes exactly as it needed to go in retrospect you know it all all makes sense in retrospect um so i think the career trajectory just sort of led me to where i needed to be at the time and you make peace with that and, and embrace it and do as much as you can where you're at all right chris we'll take you back he wants to hear your story so go ahead dr hall for your first question oh yeah well, no problem well chris you know um tell us a little bit about um you know, how you got interested in music um you, um how early on do you start with music and and tell us a little about that. You know, my mom was a music teacher, and so my brother and I were were started off pretty young and, and mostly against our will to play piano and practice every day. And throughout that time period, I, I fought against music because it was something that was forced upon me. And then about high school, I realized, oh, wow, I, I'm, I'm getting really popular because I have this ability and I can be in a rock band and, and, you know, girls like musicians. <laughs> so, uh, I started to pursue that and I went to college for it and it's, it's been a huge outlet and, and source of, uh, inspiration for me in my life ever since. So I haven't done, um, I've done a little bit of professional composing, but most of the compositions that I've done are just for myself. Did that help you in a lot of ways yeah. in everything you do being involved in music kind of, it takes uh, helps you in other other types of jobs you do. Oh my gosh, absolutely! Um, especially acting. Yeah, when I approach a role, one of the key things that I look for when I'm I'm dealing with a new character is what is this guy's soundtrack? What music is playing in his head? Because if you can figure out what he hears when nobody else hears anything, you can figure out this guy's rhythm. You can figure out how he moves. You can figure out. Um, how how he's going to respond to the world in a, in a much more subtle way than using words to describe him. So uh, it, it's been a great tool as an actor uh, to use music and and my love for all music. I, I love all genre of music. So uh, uh, that's been that's been really helpful for me uh, in creating characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, Doctor Hall. Next question. 
Wow, that's, that's incredible because you know, and I think kind of everyone kind of agrees that music kind of it tells you know what it tells you a lot about a person's soul and how they're feeling, and there's, there's music for each type of you know shade of life. Right. And um, and so that's very very interesting. So tell us about I mean acting and stuff like that. How does that relate to acting? And so far as is there always a particular story you're trying to tell as a, as a character? Yeah, you know when when you get lucky enough to to be entrusted with a character, I always feel like I owe that character something. I, I need to tell his story as honestly as I can, and and not uh, not shaded with my own experience to, to the degree that I can do that. We all bring ourselves to everything we do, so that's that's impossible on a deeper level, but. Um, I, I try to be true to the character because I know that that what I do with him is quite possibly the only time he gets to live through me. So I feel a responsibility to that character, and um, uh, having the having the the music as as a background for for him really helps to uh, inform that character and inform me of, of what he needs and just to try to listen to the character as opposed to trying to force myself on him. Um, I hope that answered the question. I, it I it, I it, do, it does. It does. <laughs> for sure. It does, Chris, because <laughs> the fact is that you want to live it to the best of your ability. So when you're given a role, you want to understand what that role is and then try to live it as you, as you are that character, but you also are the creative control of that character you are going to make it come to life. Even though it was written, that's true. you have to envision that character. And that's all about branding. If you're not going to have a good character of a good show or have all good characters, the show's not going to be successful. So true. Right, right. And it's got to be something you have to find. No matter what the character is, good guy, bad guy, uh, you know, choices that you would make or choices that you maybe wouldn't make in your real life, doesn't matter. He has to be, he or she, has to be relatable for an audience and ultimately you know when we're enjoying entertainment to to some degree we project ourselves as the audience we project ourselves into those characters so when developing a character you have to make him or her accessible somehow so so whoever's watching it can see themselves somehow in in that character's shoes and become empathetic or take that emotional journey with the character which is what entertainment is we're 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 giving you we're giving you an emotional journey without the jeopardy involved in taking that journey the characters take the jeopardy alone but you get to take the ride with them so true so true wow wow (laughs) go ahead dr hall next question yes very incredible yeah and so you know, and that and that's kind of the thing I, I, I was kind of thinking about, especially during this time. You know, when it's it's such a stressful time. You know, with this this infection and and really just you know the isolation and and, and people having to be home and and that's stress. That's real kind of stress. And and so I think that, or what do you think, Chris? So far as in in in, in acting, um, is that a way that you know um, that we can actually. Uh, relax people, make people feel, uh, you know, uh, less stress. Is, is it a way that, you know, you as an actor working to help people release their stress? Is that, do you see yourself doing that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's so great that we're talking about stress. I was just watching a show about stress last night. Basically, it all boils down to stress. 
all this this pent up energy that that doesn't get expressed and it turns into stress, which turns into God knows what cancer or or disease, any kind, Very anything true. that we're we're not able to let go of, right? So um, I think if you can find any outlet, whether it's you know it's acting for me or it's music for me, uh, folks who like to do pottery or dance or any way to express yourself um, and feel like you're you're putting your essence out into the world. I feel like society's sort of set up through no fault of anyone, then set up for us to sublimate our true essence so we can serve a greater good. You go to a job and maybe you're the um, ticket taker at the at the opera. Um, that might not be <laughs> that might not be the most fulfilling thing for you. So you have to find those ways to 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 fulfill your essence, to express your essence into the world, or I feel like it's toxic to to never and to never have that fulfillment, to never realize that potential. Exactly. Yeah. Incredible. And, and so when you're talking about that that stress building up, it just really becomes something that you aren't able to be who you are. When you're thinking about things yeah. that are stressing you out. And we'll get later into your project because that project and working out definitely relieves stress. But, you know, watching that stress program, I think everyone's stressed out with the coronavirus and the election and wants everything to disappear. And it, Chris, now I'm, I like Dr. Hall's stance now. He's not as nervous about this next wave as he was before, maybe because of the therapeutics, Dr. Hall. Isn't that true? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think we've learned a whole lot more, you know, and 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 um, we're just improving on 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 all sides. I mean, uh, the research side to do drugs, and the therapies that we're using to help people during this time, you know, that that from what isolation occurs, the stress that we're talking about now, uh, it's all very very neat and very incredible. So, I mean, definitely, definitely. All right, so I'm going to jump right quickly. Chris to his big break now how did now your big break in acting was uh the jungle book right jungle book two right, right. so how did that George happen of, how, George of the jungle two. George, yeah. George 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 but yeah always get those mixed up sorry George of the jungle two and uh I'm sure people have said that but uh so basically tell me how George of the jungle two how that opportunity came about well you know it, it was a, a huge <laughs> luck always plays plays a big part i think in, in in getting those opportunities you also have to be very prepared and and ready to hit the ground running when they fall into your lap but i can't i can't dismiss the fact that it was it was a million to one chance that brendan fraser didn't want to come back to do it and i being a nobody in town just happened to meet the right people at the right time that were able to put me in front of the people that that needed to see me um so i was i was very lucky I, and jordan kerner the producer of that project uh was kind of took me under his wing sort of like a father figure he knew i was, I was very new in in this industry and didn't know what i was doing and he really protected me and sort of shepherded me along uh that process not only you know for the success of his own project but i felt like uh you know he really he really invested into me as an actor and a human being as well. So I, I was very lucky to be surrounded by great people during that period. 
All right, Dr. Hall, next question. Wow, that's incredible that, you know, kind of what, you know, uh, what Chris is saying so far is, you know, finding uh, in Hollywood mentors and, and, and role models that can, you know, uh, you know, help you get through. And so, and I'm sure you've had to do a lot of that over the year too with, with younger actors. Chris, is that true? Yeah. I, I, it's one of my favorite things is, is to try and help people. And no matter who we are, where we are in life, there's always somebody that's behind you and you can throw a hand back and, and help them. And I, I know because I've been helped so much along the way and continue to, to need a helping hand, you know, to get to the next step. But I'm sure you probably had the same experience with your career. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a huge fulfillment for me when I have the opportunity to reach out and help somebody that maybe isn't where I've gone to or learned some of the lessons that I've gotten to learn already. Um, and it, and it's sort of life affirming too, because it reminds me, Oh yeah, there was a point in time when I didn't know this either. And now I get to share it with somebody else and you, you get to sort of experience the wonder and joy of, of, you know, the gifts that you've got a second time because you get to pass them on to the next generation, you know, the next group that's interested in what you do. So what do you think of the young actors today that are coming up? Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talent out there and there's, there's, um, I think so many opportunities and so many new ways to tell stories. It's, definitely changing at a quantum pace compared to when when I first started in this industry it was filmed for the last you know 70 years and then suddenly changing from film to digital to new media and then that new media didn't have to follow the same rules of you know TV shows and and um, uh, sensors and and what you could what was considered content, what wasn't considered content. I'm blown away now by how creative people can tell stories. And sometimes in, in a matter of, uh, of just a few minutes, um, which is, you know, which is a double-edged sword too, because I feel like the audience now there's, there is an audience for long form content, very long form content, because now instead of a movie, you might binge a season of a TV show just to get a story arc. But then on the other extreme, you might need to get the whole story in in 60 seconds. So, um, so it's kind of the wild west all over again in entertainment. And uh, and I feel like for any young person coming in right now, there's just nothing but opportunity to to hone your craft and to um, keep your mind open to all the different possibilities, the new possibilities for um, telling stories. Oh, wow. Yeah. Go ahead, Dr. All. Next question. Yeah. Wow. This is interesting. You know, it just, you have to be so versatile, you know, just, uh, and the, and the, and really the, the range of roles that, that Chris has played over the years is just incredible. You know, um, <laughs> I'm thinking about, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, just some of the actual, um, uh, theater, uh, like in, in, in the Maryland playing Joe DiMaggio yeah. and this, the, the different, you know, uh, films that you've been in, I mean, uh, tour and Supergirl. Uh, wow. Uh, was there a particular, uh, role that you've liked more than any? I mean, there's probably been so many, but I mean, can you think of one that you've really, that you really yeah. enjoyed? Well, I'll tell you, I, 
I, I've fallen in love with, with every role I've, I've gotten to do for different reasons. They all have, you know, something special about them that, like I said, I've been entrusted to, to bring to an audience, to bring to a world. And I feel like that's, that's a huge responsibility. I love and, and was, was, uh, pretty terrified and also loved uh, getting a chance to play Joe DiMaggio, uh, for uh, a live musical about the life of Marilyn Monroe. Um, cause it was, he's a real person and it's one of the few times that I've gotten to play a real person and, uh, uh some of Joe's, um, descendants even came to see it. So of course that's a little nerve wracking to know you're, you're playing their, you know, grandfather, their grandfather. And, uh, and it's a huge responsibility. But as far as acting challenges, I recently, um, wrapped on a movie, uh, that, will be coming out probably early next year. Uh, currently it's called the method and it's about a method actor, um, that is, is working on his next role, which is, which is very meta because it's, <laughs> it's an actor acting, portraying an actor, uh, who's portraying a character. So it's, it's sort of, a, um, the Russian doll, uh, stack dolls of, of character work. Uh, so within, within this script, uh, I got to play two different, I got to play the actor that was in the script plus the character that he was becoming. So it was, it was kind of like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And I got to play two separate roles, uh, within the same story. And it was a, it was a fresh, really creative, uh, way for them to, to tell this story. I love the script. Um, uh, so it was, that was a, a fun challenge for me. You know what it sounds like to me is you brought up method acting right. or you brought you draw about preparing for a character. You look at Joe DiMaggio. You look at you look at some of your other characters that you've played. I mean, really yeah. you have to really study and understand it. So they've not been the easiest characters to play. And so you have to understand and develop and you just talked about, you know, you know, going out out of your comfort zone in certain aspects and that sounds like who you are. But what about now? I mean, to get a role like you did, be, you know, before, uh, you're in great, you're in good shape, you're in great shape. What made you want to really promote as an actor your fitness? What gave you that thought process that you wanted to have the people to know about you and fitness? Well, thanks for asking. You know, uh, ever since I I did George of the Jungle and you're you're 85 percent naked for most of the movie, uh, fitness was was a big backdrop of that character. You had to be in great shape. And, and I was, man, I was training four hours a day, two to four hours a day, every day, uh, while we were doing that. So I, I got a lot of, um, folks that were interested in how to, how to achieve that physique. And a lot of people would write and ask, um, what do you do? How do I do it? And it's not honestly practical. I don't think for most people to stay in that good of shape all the time, but there are, tricks and ways to, to get there. And the reason why, uh, just recently I decided to do, to do something about fitness now was inspired by the pandemic because so many people that I know that used to have gym memberships and, and would depend on uh, all the specialized equipment inside a gym, uh, for the fitness. Now with the gyms closed and fitness equipment, um, being so expensive, there's so much demand for fitness equipment. The stuff that I've looked at online has has 
risen in price 500%. And there's a lot of, I think, profiteering going on because of the supply and demand. So uh, I wanted to find a way to help people get out and do an exercise, do a a system or a, a, a workout that would not only be effective and legitimate, but something very enjoyable too, because I know for myself, if I'm not enjoying myself, I'm probably not going to stick with it. And so I wanted, we wanted to find a, a fun way to get people back out um, off the couch and, and outside into the sunlight where uh, they could they could get back to the, those feel-good endorphins that uh, they once had in the gym. And because you're in California, the gyms are not open yet, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm sure in, in a lot of other places uh, are. those restrictions have yeah. listed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but um, I, I know for a lot of folks that have canceled their gym membership, they might not be going back or they're trying different things. So I want to just put this out as an option for folks as well to um, uh, as, as another as another way to to exercise. And you guys are in Pittsburgh, is that right? No, he is in Mississippi. I'm in Pittsburgh. So yes, you're so, in Pittsburgh. You're yeah. in Pittsburgh, Neil. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Mississippi and Pittsburgh. Um, Different climates there. I know Pittsburgh. I used my very first agent was in Pittsburgh. I know it gets super cold there uh, in the winter time, and yes. so yeah, outdoor workouts uh, can involve uh, uh, enduring the enduring the climate as well <laughs> during the winter. Uh, Mississippi, uh, you're dealing probably more with humidity uh, in the summer, but it's probably I, I would guess I've never been in Mississippi. Lovely in the in the winter time. Is that right? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. They get they get some ice no storms. Doubt. Mississippi and Alabama get some ice storms. That's where he's he goes back and forth from. So, I remember living in Arkansas. Uh, we had the ice storms, even though you know wouldn't go down to like thirty. We'd hardly get snow, but the ice storms are not fun. Trust me. Wow. You're much, you're much I, didn't, re- I didn't realize it got that cold. Yeah. There. Yes, it does. Yeah. 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 Is wow. that right, Doctor Hall? Too. Yeah. Isn't that true? Ice storms are a big thing when it gets cool. In Mississippi and Alabama. Oh yeah, oh yeah, me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, you know, the, the the thing about the weather in this part of the country is that it's kind of um, it's it's pretty much unpredictable, particularly if you live along the Gulf, you know, Gulf, uh, like Mobile, where I live, and you know, it, it just changes so rapidly. And uh, obviously, we just saw where you know <laughs> the Gulf Coast was hit a couple times, so. But I mean, I just think what I think what Chris is doing is so essential, you know, during this time period of actually, you know, getting people back moving, uh, getting them back motivated. And, and really, you know, when you're in better shape, okay, and, you know, your immune system is boosted from that being better shape, you're stronger, really, in this, in this environment with this virus. So, I mean, this is exciting. Absolutely. Thank you. So where can yeah. we so, – well, yeah, so, Chris, where's the best place people can check you out? Where can we go? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so there's a channel on YouTube, uh, The Path of Least Resistance. Uh, there's the website, www.pathofleastresistance.com, and make sure it's leash, not least, L-E-A-S-H-E-D. And we call it that because you're using dog leashes. So, um, pathofleastresistance.com. Um, there is a, a Facebook page that you can get to all of the uh, – product that way or path of least resistance fitness on Instagram. So lots of, lots of different ways to get to the same material. 
um, but it's the the actual videos themselves are very short, sixty seconds, and intended to be uh, as entertaining as they are informative. What we call uh, fittertainment. <laughs> so what what um you just finished Great. shooting? What projects do you have currently? Without you talked about your personal one, but what about acting? Yeah, so acting wise, um, uh, finishing up this movie that I'd mentioned before called The Method. Um, so that's in post at the moment. Uh, I believe that um, one of a movie that I'd worked on a while back is getting re-released. We're very excited about that coming back out. It's called Complacent. It's a drama uh, by Stephen Monroe. And um, I just worked with a buddy of mine uh, on a project called My Corona. So Phil Gorn oh, uh, is a, a veteran veteran director, and, and he just did the first, see if I get this right, uh, the first ever movie that was directed entirely virtually. So during the pandemic, oh, he, he directed this <laughs> through, through uh, you know, um, Zoom and Skype. Uh, so he wasn't even in the room with the actors at the time. Hey, you never know what's going to come next in this Incredible. business for sure. So uh, Dr. Yeah. Hall, go ahead and uh, summarize Chris. Oh, wow. Well, you know, with no problem. I mean, it's just great because, you know, all the years, you know, we've benefited from his acting talent, his producing talent. And and now, you know, in, in, in this time, I tell you, there's so much stress and we're inside and we have restrictions on us. Um, just what he's offering, you know, um, the these um, his courses are going to be so helpful to Americans. And personally, myself as a doctor, I mean, I'm seeing patients that are asking me all the time, hey, what can I do now in the house? And I'm going to tell, I'm going to refer them to, to Chris and what he's doing. So, I mean, it's just been a great opportunity to have you on the show today, Chris. Uh, and so thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Hall, I'm, I'm so honored. And thank you so much for, uh, for being on board. And thanks for the work that you're doing. I feel like we're on the same team when it comes to, to health and, and well-being. Uh, and um, so... It's an honor to be a part of this. And, Neil, thank you for, for including me today. Oh, you're welcome, Chris. Thanks for stopping yes, by. Sir. I'm going to definitely check it out as well. Uh, and thanks again for uh, coming on the show. Um, absolutely. It, huh. I'm going to become a, a regular subscriber. Hey, you, got, you see, I have a variety of shows I produce oh. and host, and you never know what celebrity comes on next. That's the way, the fun thing about this. And I love just learning stories, especially from guys. And someday, you never know, when you're in Pittsburgh, look me up. All right? Or maybe I'll be in L.A., who knows? Uh, after I, after, I after Rona. That. After Rona, right? After Rona. Yeah, after Rona. <laughs> but Chris is, Chris is going Chris is going to tell us when after Rona. But all right, guys, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was super fun. All right, take care. That was the Dr. Christopher Hall Show, guys. Take care. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. 
Lensex Enterprise Level Video Management Software, Perspective EMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show's Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And, oh, man, I'm excited to welcome the program my co-host, Caregiver Dave. Dave, what the heck's going on here, man? You are in paradise. I don't like this. This is not fair to me. <laughs> so, Dave, You know, you I thought me? Hawaii was paradise, but uh, I've, I've changed my mind. Now Acapulco is my new paradise. <laughs> Ooh, that's and beautiful. besides that, it's one-third the price. I love it. That looks gorgeous. I'm on a working vacation with my wife. Uh, I'm doing a storytelling uh, workshop that I'm attending. And so I figured, why not? You know, besides, she wouldn't let me go without her. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Absolutely. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Kukarel, and he is the Grammy Award winner. How many Grammys have you won? I mean, amazing. And you've worked with such five, a Five artist. Grammys. Five. five. And so we're going to learn his story, five. but also the story we really want to talk about, the story of triumph, uh, overcoming God cancer, Nine. and helping others. <laughs> God rest so, his soul. Andre Crouch, the godfather of uh, gospel. Yeah, so Coop, thanks for stopping by. How are you, man? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. All right, so talk about, let's go right to the beginning and say, how did you, did you always want to be involved in music? You know, my mom and my mom and her sisters, um, they I grew up watching them. They were background singers in Chicago for uh, radio and TV commercials and for people like Aretha Franklin, Curtis Mayfield, Ohio Players. And uh, they sang with Carole King a couple of times. So um, just them being in the studio all, you know, all the time gave me and my cousins the opportunity to see them, see what what life was like in music. And, you know, we, we all played instruments, but you know, we realized that music was in our blood and we knew that that's what we wanted to do, you know, for the rest of our lives. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So how old were you when you realized that uh, this was going to be your passion, music and all, and, uh, you know, hanging out with celebrities and, and other songwriters and musicians? You know, I mean, I was young when I realized that I, I loved music. Um, I think when I, I was 14, when I was 13 or 14 is when I realized I had a real passion for it. And I decided, I think I figured out that, you know, I started playing instruments and I figured out I wanted to have a career in music. And then that was like 13 or 14. And I think when I was around 16 or 17, um, I was exposed to producers like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, uh, Elian Babyface, Quincy Jones. And I realized that that was a niche that I wanted to tap into. And I realized I wanted to be a producer. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. And when you, figure, when you figure that out, you're like <clears throat> to yourself, are you kidding me? I know exactly what I want to do, but you are everything. Like you could perform, you could do everything. So does that help in a lot of ways when you're producing for other people because you can do everything? Yeah, it do, It definitely helps because that that um, it helps in 
basically being a sharpshooter in what it is you do. So like my niche is vocal production. So with me being able to sing and, you know, I'm not a performer, but I can sing. Have, I have that ability along with the mindset of a producer and an arranger and a songwriter that gives me the ability to hear something special when it goes by and capture it and go, no, that's the one and make the final decision as opposed to um, having a whole bunch of different options and going, all right, we'll, we'll worry about it later. But it's like, no, that was magic. That's what we're going with. And you just keep moving forward. Kurt, songwriters have always mystified me. I mean, I've met some personally and uh, like a songwriter like Carol King or Dolly Parton or Michael yeah. Jackson, yeah. you know, they're all so different. Um, yeah. Where's that stuff come from? Uh, is it out there in the universe? They're plugging into it. Was it always out there and they're just bringing it to light? What, what's your opinion on that? My opinion on that is, you know, for, for, I take that, at, you know, for myself. I, I feel like it's a God-given talent. You know, God gives us the talent because um, that's something I realized when I came into my own niche and my own success is like God had gifted me with this ability. And once I tapped into that as, you know, tapped into him as my source of uh, creativity and ability with the gift, that's when I, for me, I real I feel like that's where it comes from. You know, we all, we all have, have special talent, but I think once we tap into where that true source is, the, the true source of it, we're able to just flow in it, you know? Exactly. Uh, the parts of the brain, some people are very good at lyrics, some people are very good at melody. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? Yeah, and why can some people do one and not the other and vice versa? I think it's just their gifting. I think it's everybody's different gifting. Like for me, I'm a songwriter, but I'm more, my mind works more on the songwriting uh, I tap into the melodic side of it and the emotional side of it as not so much the lyric side of it. So, you know, when I hear lyrics, it really, it takes me a long time to process and go, Oh, that's what that means. But when I hear, when I hear melody and I hear, um, and I sense passion and, and emotion of a melody, I'm tapped into that right away. So, so you know, I, part I think, of the great, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just think it's, it, you know, everybody's different. And I think the, the real thing is just being able to tap into what your special thing is and going with that. Yeah, exactly. That's where the, the powerhouse partnerships come from. Lennon McCartney yeah. and, you know, uh, Elton John and, and his partner yep. there. Yeah, Bryce. Yep, yep. What would you consider your big break? <clears throat> My big break was when I was a, a co-writer and co-producer uh, of a song called Umbrella for Rihanna. Um, me and my cousin Trick Stewart and a guy named Terius Nash, The Dream, we, uh, we all wrote that song and that song changed our lives, changed, um, every, it changed everybody's who, lives who was involved with that record because it was such a global smash and that was my first hit. That was my, uh, yeah, that was my first hit record. How did you get that connection to get that opportunity to, to do that? Uh, let's see, I moved to Atlanta, you know, short story, I moved to Atlanta to work with my cousin, Tricky Stewart. We were writing and producing together and then we met, uh, the, uh, Tricky had known the dream already. I met the dream. Uh, we spent a year together working, basically writing demos and stuff like that. Um, then we, we just kind of, one day we all stumbled into the studio and stumbled onto that idea. It was completely, um, it was completely God-given a God-given opportunity because none of us were expecting to write 
something that day. Wow. We all showed at the studio. Um, I found the loop of that record, uh, um, the, which is the foundation of it, the drums. I found it in, in Logic, uh, which is also basically like garage band. Found that. We, Tricky and I put drums and music to it. And then Dream came in and put the, the melody and the lyric to it. And the rest is history. That's definitely so. So who who is the Kurt, the eleven year old Kurt, the teenager Kurt, the Kurt today? Not, not before... Kurt. No, see, Dave, you weren't here. Oh, Kook, 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 Kook. Yeah, Putin. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's so all good. Uh, Neil You're in Mexico, man. We we, we you shouldn't <laughs> no, be going. I call it a Biden moment. Yeah, good. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a little distracted out here. Exactly. So um, how how has your success changed you from? from the Kooten before to the Kooten now. I mean, people say that uh, success, if you're a jerk to begin with, you're gonna just become more of a jerk. If you're a great guy, you're gonna become more of a great guy, generous, et cetera. How has it changed you? You know, I think it's, um, I think I was, I'm fortunate to have gotten my success later in life. So when we did, we did Umbrella, we, I was 40 years old. Oh my God. So you've oh. got to, you know, so you've got to know that, that I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of life experiences up to Absolutely. that point, which had actually already gotten me to a place to where I was settled in. And here's the big thing. I was already settled in my identity as an individual. Yeah. So not, not to say that, um, not to say that I'm perfect or I got it all figured out or I'm, I'm even keeled at all times. I think just foundationally, not, I think I know foundationally with that being my, my, my journey having success later on in life, having already been established and being established in my identity. Um, that really, I think that helped out, you know, the success, I think the success was icing on the cake that I was able to come into my own identity, be, be content with who I am as an individual, as an individual. I want to live my life. I want to live my dreams. I want to live my passion as opposed to being on the journey or on this journey of wanting to live somebody else's dreams and excitement. Hard work. Pays and you do off. look very and, content. By the way. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank and, and, and hard work pays off. And you, you went and had to struggle like everyone else, but get into that big break and then, wow. So how did it feel winning a Grammy? And winning you know, the, the, first, the first Grammy, it, I mean, they all feel great. The first Grammy felt incredible because I actually didn't even know I had won it. it uh, the Grammy actually just showed up at the house. And uh, my wife and I opened the box and we were like, oh, my gosh, what is this? It's like, it's a good, wow. yeah, I saw my name on it. And, you know, the first Grammy was for Mary J. Blige. I produced all, all of her vocals on um, one, of, one of her albums. Um, and yeah, it, it came in the mail and I was, I was blown away. And then the second Grammy, you know, they all feel really, really, really special because it's confirmation that you're doing what you do the right way. And you're allowing the creativity to just flow as opposed to just trying to, trying to force something all, all the time. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned God given this and God given that mm. I'm assuming you're a man of faith and that you have uh uh, a relationship with God. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Yes. 100%. I'm a man of, a man of faith, <laughs> man of God. Um, yeah, you know, I, um, grew up, grew up 
in the church and you know like everybody you grow up because your parents and your sure. grandparents want you to go to church and it i think um you know we all experience that and we get that foundation and then we all turn 13 or 14 and start doing our own thing and we want to get away sure. from that because we don't understand the impact <clears throat> of that, that on our lives fast forward for me you know same thing fast forward um moved to la and in 1990 six, I believe I had gone to a church in LA and that's when, um, I started my relationship with the Lord and had been exposed to, you know, I, I had been exposed to God and, you know, uh, like a church community that really impacted me and my family. And we got to start our own personal relationship with God, as wow. opposed to having that relationship through parents and grandparents. Sure. Wow. Yeah. So that's again part of it. But then the success, and now we're going to go to the challenge. Why you're yeah. on the show? Because yeah. I'm sure you're busy, as we know, just getting a hold of you for a half hour with all the different <laughs> projects you have. Even during COVID, doesn't matter. Yeah. You always can lay track somewhere. You always could yeah. go produce something somewhere. There always yeah. will be a project. But yeah. what hit you in 2018 was just gigantic. Like that, you're saying, "Wow, all this success at a later age, and then this happens to me." So tell us. Yeah, yeah. So in 2018, I was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. It was locally advanced. Um, oh wow! You know, and of course, you know, of course, that's devastating um, to hear. To hear, you know, to hear that news. I found out because I went to um, I went for a yearly physical. Found out my num my PSA was was high um went um so so actually i had gone for my psa in like 2006 2016 my number had was was a little high my, my uh, doctor wanted me to get it checked i was extremely busy didn't really follow up and go get a check went back and um i didn't go back for another checkup until the like the end of 2017 my number had doubled and he wow. was like you're not you're not getting out of here because there was a uh, there's a um uh, urologist also in the building. So he said, you're not leaving this building until you stop downstairs at uh, Dr. Capilouto's office and set up something so we can get this checked out. Went down there, checked it out. You know, he ran, we uh, did the test. Um, sure enough, go back for the results. And he said, you know, because uh, my dad had prostate cancer when he was 70. And just on based off wow. of that information and the, and my numbers, you know, my urologist said, you know, I'd be, I've been doing this a long time. I'd be surprised if you don't have it because of what you're telling me and the, and the fact that you waited to come and get it checked out. So sure enough, um, was diagnosed. We did the, you know, we did the biopsy. It was diagnosed. Um, I, at that, at that time I lived in Atlanta and was in the process of moving to Florida where we live now. And uh, what I decided to do, since my doctors were there in Atlanta, decided to have my surgery there in Atlanta. So um, because I because there was so much time um, be between me getting you know getting di getting diagnosed and all that stuff, I elected to have my prostate removed. So I had it removed. I was really fortunate. Oh. Yeah, really really fortunate that they were able to preserve the nerves. So you know that was really that's been a, a great thing. Um, and once the surgery, you're, you're not incontinent. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Amen. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and we, all the uh, other stuff down there. Yeah. <laughs> all, all is good. Yeah. All is Praise well. God. 
Yes. So we did that after surgery. Uh, we realized that my that the some of the the you know the PSA number was still present. So so um, the number had gone down significantly, but it was still I think I was at like one or something like that. And after prostate cancer surgery, it needs to be undetectable. Wow. So mm. we we realized that um, I, my choice was to. Uh, my my only choice was to further further treatment and have radiation, uh, do seven weeks of radiation therapy, um, hormone therapy as well as radiation treatment. Um, in in the time after the surgery, we had gotten our move done here to Florida, and uh, when we realized I needed to do this uh, the radiation, I checked that we my wife and I had gone to a place here in Florida. It's like right up the street. Our, um, radiation uh, radiology place went in there and I just didn't feel comfortable at all with it. I felt like, um, you know, just in my own words, in my own, uh, in my own thoughts, I was going, man, I, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm just going to become a number at this place and I, I, I don't feel comfortable. So I reached out to my manager who is, uh, who is at Rock Nation, uh, Jay Brown, called him and said, hey, listen, I'm going through this. This is happening. I've got to have radiation. And I'd like to get a second opinion. What, you know, do you know anybody? He said, absolutely. <clears throat> so he hung, he said, I'll call you back in a few minutes. He hung up. He called me back in like 30 minutes. And he said, okay, so another friend of ours, whose name is, uh, we call him Big John. His name is uh, <clears throat> John Platt. The year before in 2017, City of Hope had honored him at the uh, with the city of life or with i think what is city of life award and uh and uh jay brown called me back and said i just spoke to john and he's gonna get you in la so i was like wow that's incredible so a week later i was i flew to la uh went to city of hope had my appointment my uh patient advocate uh lupe santana met me at the front door walked me all the way through, all through the hospital, gave me the tour, then took me to my doctor, uh, like personally walked me to my doctor, Dr. Dorf, and then uh, to Dr. Dan Dapani. And um, it just the, from the time I stepped on the property at City of Hope and Lupe met me there, I felt exactly what the City of Hope is called. I felt hope. Um, for me, I never really approach life. Um, I don't approach life. Uh, I, I try to approach every day with hope. So for me, it was kind of easy to uh, identify it and and connect with it at City of Hope. So it was a little less of a, a journey to get to that place of going, oh, okay, no, we're going to be okay. Um, so once I once I walked in, once Lupe met me, then I met with Dr. Dorf and Dr. Dandapani. I just I really felt like I felt comfortable. I felt like Dr. Dorf uh, listened to everything that I every question I had. <laughs> She answered every question I had, and I felt like I was going to be able to communicate with her and not be full of fear in any kind of way, and that we were going to get through this um, this challenge. Where's your best social media? People can connect with you, follow you, and stuff. For you, oh, um, you can follow me on Instagram, official Kook Harrell, official K U K H A R R E L L, and you can also um, uh, go to my website, kookharrell.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And your story is fantastic. And everyone needs to go and check out Dining for Justice and City of Hope. Yeah. And then especially yes. the story 
of what they were able to do for you and how they're helping yeah. other people and how they're treating so many people that yeah. are dealing with these challenges. So thanks again. For yeah, that. absolutely. And if I, if and I can also say, you know, for, uh, for you know, just speaking to men, early detection is the best, you know, um, early detection and just don't be afraid to just go and get your checkup. You know, a lot of men are afraid to go get that checkup, but if you sense that you're having problems urinating or anything like that, just don't even mess with it. Right. Just go get it checked out and it, it'll, right. you, you'll save yourself a lot of work on the back end. Well, great story. Yeah. It was great meeting you, Kook, and I'm so sorry I mispronounced your name. No, that's no okay. it's all, it's no worries. It's great meeting you both. <laughs> And thank you so much for having me. And Bridget, thank you so much for bringing clarity to yes, all Bridget. that. All right, guys. Thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it, everybody. All right, guys. Okay. That was uh, the Caregiver Dear Celebrity segment on the Neil Haley Show. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download celebrity slots today. Back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment. I'm excited to welcome to the show editor-in-chief of National Geographic, Susan Goldberg. Susan, author of America the Beautiful. Susan, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. So you were talking off air about this is the perfect time to launch this book. Why? Well, you know, it takes a while to make books. So when we started about a year or a year and a half ago deciding to do this book, we knew that a book we published in the fall of 2020 was going to be, you know, come out right on the eve of what, of course, we knew was going to be a divisive election and that it could be a stressful time in the country. So we like doing a book about the beauty of America as an antidote, really, to what we were all going to be going through with the election. What we didn't know, of course, was that in addition to the election, we were all going to be facing this global pandemic, which is hitting the United States very hard, as well as um, in the, being in the middle of a necessary but painful conversation about the racial reckoning uh, going on in the United States. So I think a book that makes you feel pretty good about America uh, coming out right now is very good timing. Perfect timing. So why the book? Meaning why did you choose this timing to, again, I guess the election, but you want people to really love America and to understand the beauty of what, what's really great about America? Well, you know, I think all of us can forget um, how physically beautiful the country is, how vast the country is, how diverse the landscapes and the people are, and then how much, you know, where people came from really means to them. So, you know, we decided to just use the National Geographic Archive, which has got you know, millions and millions of images from the 19th, 20th, and now 21st century to take a look at America and just remind people about the country. Um, what I think is the takeaway is uh, when you page through this book, you feel like you've driven across the country. 
that you're seeing the landscapes and the people and the history. You're reminded of the sheer physical beauty of the country. And the other part I really like about it is the interweaving of the poem, America the Beautiful, which I didn't know that much about until, you know, until we did this book. Uh, but that poem, the one that starts, Oh, Beautiful for Spacious Skies, which everybody yes. you know knows, at least the first stanza of, many people think it ought to be our national anthem, but that is, you know, weaves its way through the book and through these photos. And the photos, how difficult, again, working with National Geographic, but how difficult was it to find the right photo for each uh, well, part the, of the book? The yeah. Bigger, yeah, the bigger problem is there's way too much to choose from. Right, we have 64 million print and digital images in the National Geographic Archive. So even when you set aside all of the photos that uh, are from outside of the United States, we still have millions and millions. So we wanted to pick photos that both went with the poem and that really showed the country. And it is just hard to narrow them down, right? You know, when when Catherine Lee Bates in the you know in the America the Beautiful poem writes about for amber waves of grain, what she's writing about is the first time she ever saw Kansas. And so you you've got pictures in this book that really show that. Or when she writes about for purple mountain majesties, she's talking about the first time she saw the Rocky Mountains. And so you've got absolutely gorgeous photos of that too. But I think the most interesting part, at least to me, beyond the epic landscape photos, are the photos of people. Uh, people right now going about their business, doing work, as well as you know, people through history. So, uh, so uh, kind of tell us the breakdown of this. Uh, so the yeah. book is, sure. yeah, the book is divided. Um, the book is divided geographically. Really, we are not called National Geographic for nothing. So we <laughs> divide the country into you know the regions, right? So there's a region about the Midwest where we talk about Michigan and Ohio and Wisconsin and Iowa and Illinois. Uh, there's a region about the South where we talk about all the Southern states. And then in addition to just the pictures and uh, the captions on those pictures, we asked famous people from each state, territory, and Washington, D.C. to give us some brief reflections on what their state meant to them. And I find those so touching to read. And we got a great cast of characters. I mean, we got Barack Obama to write about Hawaii and wow. Nick Saban, the college football coach, to write about where he comes from, which is West Virginia. You know, Loretta Lynn writes about Kentucky. James Earl Jones writes about Michigan. LeBron James writes about Ohio. So we have these amazing voices in the book as well. Did you get to talk to all of these people? Putting together the um, book? I didn't get to talk to each and every one, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, they they talked to they talked to our, our researchers and our and our, our book editors and we were so grateful for their contribution. And what, what really strikes you when you read it is how much people love where they came from and and the kind of heartfelt and simple things people said about where they came from. Like I really love what LeBron James, you know, mega mega superstar athlete multi-millionaire but he's from ohio and i just love how he puts it what he said was before anyone cared where i would play basketball i was a kid from northeast ohio in northeast ohio nothing is given everything is earned you work for what you have no matter where i go in the world ohio always will be home and that's just, that's so touching. And I think it really reflects a lot of truth about Ohio. I, I lived there for a while as the editor of the 
plain dealer newspaper. But um, it, it, it just says a lot in a few sentences. All right. So let's jump from uh, specifically Pennsylvania. Who ended up contributing to Pennsylvania? All right, Pennsylvania. Let me get to my index here. I wasn't <laughs> anticipating Pennsylvania. Okay, here we go. I'm getting to Pennsylvania right now on page 160. <laughs> By the way, there's 300 images and about 400 and uh, 415 pages in this book. Um, let's see. Okay, so uh, in Pennsylvania, we quote, um, Ahi Sinha, who is an actor who is the best known for his uh, his roles in the social network. Um, he was actually born in India, but he was raised in, in Pittsburgh, and he is a big-time Steelers and Penguins fan. And what he says about Pennsylvania is, for me, Pennsylvania is where I developed my love of sports and the colors black and gold, where I made my first lifelong friendships, owned my first dog, and played amateur youth hockey. I will always consider it home. Oh, wow. That's great to bring those things up. And that's great quotes for kids and then also adults to think about their favorite state. Here's a question for you. If, if, do you do this yearly or does it every uh, every like three or four years? Do you write a book? Well, we, have, yeah. well we, do, we do big books, you know, numerous big books every year. Sometimes we write about you know, do big national park books or just great photographic books. Last year we did a major book on the history of women around the globe. We used the same National Geographic archives to look at the history of women, and we did that because it was the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote in the United States and in Britain. Um, but, you know, this is the first time we have done this particular book. And like I say, I just feel like, you know, it reminds you of the resilience of the country and you feel inspired after reading it. We could all use a little bit of that right about now. Perfect. Best place we can uh, pick up the book and learn, uh, where should we go? So at bookstores anywhere at nationalgeographic.com or on Amazon. Other projects you have going on, Susan, that you could talk about? Oh gosh, sure. We have, um, you know, our, our brand new issue of National Geographic Magazine, I'm very excited about it. It is a special issue on the coronavirus, and we look at how it is playing out all over the world with photographers all over the world really telling that story. So, you know, this isn't just happening to us here in the United States, and we really take people up close and personal all over the world. And we talk about how it could change us and what might be some of the lasting changes that this brings. Then in December... Uh, in our magazine, our cover story is on the Great Lakes. And, you know, I think sometimes you know, we hear about much more about wildfires in California and, you know, other, other natural disasters going on. We don't hear as much about the Great Lakes, and there is an urgent need to preserve and protect the Great Lakes, which are so important exactly. to not just the health of everybody in the United States, but the health of the planet. So we have a beautiful and important story about the Great Lakes coming in December. All right, Susan, where can we, uh, do, are you on social media as well? People can check you out. Oh my gosh, yes. We, uh, you know, we love it. We have more followers on Instagram than any other brand. We are at Nat Geo. So that is a great place to start, or you can always go in through our website through nationalgeographic.com. Thanks again for uh, calling, Susan. Great information, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. We appreciate it, too. Take care. Thanks again. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. And we'll 